15 years ago, she left the tech industry to start a beverage company, something I just don't think I could do. It's hard to ship, customers are hesitant to change, and you just have competition from all levels. Not to mention, Big Terry at the Bottling Company isn't always fun to work with. Kara Golden is the founder and CEO of Hinton. She's also a mother, author, podcaster, award winner, and so much more. As a founder, you have to wear a lot of hats, not just for sales and operations, but for your family as well. And the world doesn't hit pause for anything. You might be in the hospital giving birth to your fourth child and the phone rings. My husband picks up the phone and says, hello, and it's the guy from Whole Foods. He said, So I'm like, wait, who took the cases? I still didn't believe that they had been sold. My goal was to actually get it on the shelf at Whole Foods. But I was super excited when he told me that we had sold these 10 cases. But he also said, do you guys have distributors or anyone who can deliver this product? We're in the hospital. And he said, look, I've given you guys some space, but I'm going to get in trouble or you're going to lose the space. I don't know if I can get it back for you. And so we actually checked out of the hospital. We figured, Okay, we were going to stay another day and a half and like being at the Ritz-Carlton, right, at this point, because I've got three kids to go home to and bringing home a fourth kid. And I thought, I'll take my time. But then when I heard the news that my other baby really needed attention, we went home and that's when my husband said, let me just go take some more cases to him. On this episode of Rolled Up, Karen and I talked about the launch of her new book, Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, the importance of not being afraid to challenge yourself, and some of her experiences along the journey of building him. Here's my interview with Kara Golden. I obviously read the book. I've been following you for a while, Kara. And in the intro, obviously, you're the founder and CEO of Hint, Inc., Best known for the award-winning Hint Water, by far the best tasting. That's my opinion. (laughs) But the sales speak for themselves that it is the leading unsweetened flavored water. But we are here to talk about your first book, Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, which was released October 2020 and is now a Wall Street Journal bestseller, Amazon bestseller. I think you might have sold out on Amazon Canada. And you're currently isolating, staying safe at home with your family in the Bay Area. And my two Labradors too. So <laughs> that was the first complain. question where you ha- you have to include the uh, the labs as I, part of, of the family. Of course, for you, right? I mean, that's so key. And I think that that's my first question. Just with everything that you've accomplished, how do you identify when you introduce yourself? Because it's easy for me to list all of your accomplishments and everything that you've done. But when, how do you identify? You know, it's an interesting question because I've I, it's always been a stumper for me. And I think it's pretty rare that an existing CEO actually writes a book. And I sort of learned through this process why, because it's it's just a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think as as uh I've been actually out talking about the book too, people have asked. Do I talk about you as an author? Do I talk about you as a CEO? And I don't know. I don't know what I identify as. I think all of it, all of the above. All of the above. Right? But I feel like it all kind of speaks to something that I talk about in this book too, which is that everything we do, whether it's being the founder of being an entrepreneur, being the CEO of a beverage company or 
the failures that we've had, the successes that we've had, the things that we've done, the places we've traveled to, whatever it is, those are all part of your journey. And kind of think about them as like warts and all. But more than anything, it's experiences along the way that make you who you are. And I think that that is such a key thing. I've had more people say to me through the launch of this book that what they're reading in it is something that I didn't even think about, frankly, when I was writing this book, which is authentic leadership. And I think that that will be such a hot topic in 2021, just based on the response that I've heard. I think when you go through challenging times, I think people really want to understand who the people are that they get and they understand and people that are talking about their hard experiences through the pandemic are are really the ones that I think will probably be listened to the most versus saying everything was pretty, everything was great, you know, we were perfect. And so anyway, I think there's a lot of just little nuggets in just what I said just now, but it's clearly it's who I am. And more than anything, I wanted to write this book to really share with people, whether you're an entrepreneur or somebody who's just starting out or someone who hopes one day that they can actually be a successful entrepreneur, that it really, it's a lot of hard work. And there's a lot of stuff that happens along the way that is not pretty, is super fun, is... You get a good story out of it. Yeah. But at the time, you're thinking, what the hell am I doing? What am I doing? And as I always said, you know, if nothing else, I'd be a great dinner party guest, right? I'd be, you know, that game that people play where it's like, tell me two truths and one lie or something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah, I just always said I could, uh, I'm great at that game because people can't believe half the stuff that I, you know, have been through along the way that they'll just start, they'll say, come on, you were never an executive assistant, you know, and I'm like, I was proudly, I did it, mm -hmm. I did it, and I did it well. So just lots of little stories like that, that I think are really important for people to really admit and share, and I hope more follow, frankly. Reading the book, there were just so many moments of during my entrepreneurial career with Truths Happen, just there's so many similarities in our stories with going from tech into CPG. And mm -hmm. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but it was just kind of, I got fired. There was a, a little trade show a couple of weeks later. So thought, you know what, let's just see if we make some treats, see if we sell anything. And I just loved the phrase that you really started out with was an accidental entrepreneur. And if Hint ends up uh, being acquired or you end up retiring, I think you could have a second career just coming up with great names for things because I love the accent entrepreneur and you just said authentic leadership. But could you tell me a little bit more about during your journey, maybe not accidental because it has a little bit of a negative connotation, but uh, some of those serendipitous moments to be a little bit more positive that really happened during your journey as an accidental entrepreneur and what that phrase really means to, to you. It's an interesting sort of reflection I think that I've had, which is that when I was leaving my tech role at AOL, I was, I had been there for seven years. I was uh, part of an acquisition that happened very early on in my days at this small startup called two market that was a spin out of 
Apple. It was a Steve Jobs idea that um, I just thought it was a super cool idea. And the fact that they were not only paying me more money than I was making in New York at my media jobs at Time and CNN, but also that I was getting this thing called equity. I didn't even know what equity was when I was first getting these shares and this contract um, given to me. But after I um, sort of continued to kind of just jump in and try and grow the partnerships that Two Market had with a lot of these relationships. I was, you know, again, running this group. And when AOL acquired us, they said, okay, you'll run this button called shopping and e-commerce partnership. So seven years later, I'm running this team of not only 200 people, but also many, many retailers and was running basically a billion dollars in revenue underneath AOL. And I was the youngest vice president. I was one of the few females. Um, I was traveling across the U.S. from my home in San Francisco, primarily to Virginia, where they were based, and also New York and to the office there. And I felt like my job every single day was to sign off on things and sort of guide people, which is fine. Like call it mentorship in some ways or directives or whatever. I was a manager, right? And I felt like that was a very different role than what I had signed up for, but I couldn't actually figure out why I wasn't that psyched and that happy. I mean, we had gone through like this hockey stick in the late 90s of growing the brand and I was definitely leading and was a part of that. But by the time I ended up leaving, the growth of this group was slowing kind of naturally. We had sort of gotten out of the hockey stick. And and again, I felt like more than anything, I wasn't learning anymore. It wasn't that exciting. And I just really wasn't feeling like I was learning what I had before because I knew how to do my job really super well. I primarily left because I had three young kids at the time under the age of four. I then had another baby when I decided to start this company, Hint. But really, as I was, I took a couple of years off and was kind of looking for the perfect tech job and nothing was kind of, if this makes sense, stumping me. Like I felt like it was just a different place to sort of walk into a different office. I wasn't, there was no big learning curve that was sitting in front of me. And when I finally looked at my own health and trying to really figure out something that was really hard for me, uh, which was my weight. And I had also developed terrible adult acne over the course of many years and a bunch of pregnancies. And and finally, my energy levels had gone down. And so, again, this was like a hard problem that I was trying to solve kind of quietly for years. It wasn't even something that I sort of articulated that it upset me. But one day when, after really trying to look at all these different diets and counting my calories and nothing was working, then one day I looked down at my diet soda, my diet Coke in particular, and I saw these ingredients that were in my diet soda. And that's when I, just as a test, I decided to put the diet soda to the side. I'd been drinking it for years and swap it out for plain water because I thought, I'm putting all these rules based on like my food, Mm -hmm. but I'm not really following those rules on my drinks because I was enjoying my Diet Coke because I thought it was healthy. Two and a half weeks after just making this swap, I lost 24 pounds. I got my energy back and 
I no longer had this acne on my face. And it made me really think about the fact that so many people are trying to actually get healthy and it's really hard. Like it's like, it's something that is really a challenge for people and whether it's losing weight or get rid of their type two diabetes or whatever it is. I mean, it's something that is upsetting to people and really, really challenging. And so I felt like I had sort of stumbled upon this this problem and I had the answer to it. And so every single day I was waking up and I was just super excited. And I thought, gosh, if we could just get people to enjoy water, then lots of things would be solved. But again, I wasn't a beverage entrepreneur. I wasn't a doctor. I wasn't a nutritionist. I wasn't all of these things. But I just thought, gosh, if it's if I could just get this on the shelf at stores, this water that I'd been making at home with like fruit in it, then not only could I change health and the health that people were having, not just in my house, but also all around just by getting them to enjoy water again in the US, but it, I could change the world. And that may sound so crazy to people, but when, I mean, I even go as far as to say to people, I didn't, even, I never thought of this as a beverage company. I thought of the beverage as really the tool to be able to make this happen. And I go back to my story when I was leaving AOL because I felt like I wasn't learning anymore. And I was just like kind of sitting in this role of just being kind of, I was done. I was stagnant. I was ready to graduate. And I couldn't articulate that. But today in one of the chapters in the book where I highlight this, that something that I've learned and I share with members of my team and other leaders all the time is if you start to feel like you're really bored and you can do your job really super well, you got to figure out how to keep learning and you got to like put these things in your path that are really going to make you doubt yourself, maybe make you uncomfortable and don't just keep doing the same thing over and over again. Because unfortunately, what I've seen is I think the most unhappy people and the most stressed out people are the ones that don't have those challenges anymore in their life. And it's a big concept and it sort of goes against what I think what we're promised even like in, I don't know, college, right? Where it's like, go be a manager, go be a, and then teach everyone. Well, <laughs> guess what? Like that person who's actually the teacher really wants to keep learning too. Yeah. And I think it's part of human nature that you want to keep learning. And so you can do that, by the way, in a lot of other ways than actually going back to school or taking an online course. I mean, you can get, you know, the person inside of your organization that knows Twitter really well to sort of help you figure out how something works if you just don't know how it works or setting up a podcast and, you know, whatever it yep. is and figuring out how to do the audio or, you know, whatever it is. But if you're not constantly putting these things in your path that are going to make you a little uncomfortable, then I think you're setting yourself up for disaster. And that is the other thing that I hope people get out of this book, that it's just like life should be a series of constant challenges and where you're going to doubt yourself a little bit. You're going to have doubters because maybe there's some things like starting a beverage company and you know taking on the big guys in, in that industry or starting a whole new category. Maybe people just don't get it and they don't have the vision and maybe they'll never get it. 
but that's okay. Because as long as you're learning and you're getting engaged in the process, I think that that's what's the most important thing for you. I have to write that down as a little reminder to myself that maybe they'll never get it. Because when I was <laughs> going through my show notes with my story yeah, uh, about like doubts, I was doubting myself because I, I go to listen to your podcast and you've got Jeff Jones on talking about playing like, and everything. It's like, how can Kara go from Jeff Jones to me? But you can't have that doubt. And even uh, when I was starting Treats Happen, the VP sent me a very rude email about two weeks later saying, how's your fancy pants dog treat company going? Hmm. Like, I don't know, how are pet sales in uh, on e-commerce now? Like, yeah, it's just. Yeah, and you can't allow these people to really set your day either. As my dad said to me, and really both my parents used to say this to me when people used to upset me, you know, when I was younger, my parents used to say, consider the source. And I think it's something that that just reminded me of something that they would say if they heard that, because I, I really do believe that it matters a lot. And sometimes if you say that to yourself, when somebody says something that kind of rocks you a little bit, you consider the source. And one of the stories I have in the book is, is just that. And when I thought that, you know, the big guy, uh, huge executive at Coca-Cola could sort of wave his magic wand and solve all my problems. And when I finally got there and he sort of poo-pooed my idea and said, sweetie, Americans love sweet. This product isn't going anywhere. I mean, that kind of rocked me. I thought, oh my gosh, like here's this, you know, multi-billion dollar executive at a business that I, you know, he's gold, right? I'm nothing. And suddenly as I let him talk for a little longer, I realized I had to consider the source because his focus of his business was really sugar, mm -hmm. right? And he wanted people to enjoy sweet. And that was nowhere in that one hour conversation did I hear him say the word health. No. And that's how I always described my product. And so when I finally, you know, kind of, I had that conversation and I truly feel like it was meant to be in so many ways because it really showed me the way that I, I didn't hate him or dislike him or dismiss him. He was just on a totally different river, mm -hmm. right? It's, he was doing his thing. And I'm like, it's not my thing. It's all good, right? And then you just have a decision to make at that point. Do you continue? Do you listen to him and quit? I don't know. I just said, well, I mean, he's got his opinions. He's doing something different. I've got mine opinions. I've got customers that like what I'm doing and I'm going. And that's what I did. I love that. And it reminds me of another quote that I, I wrote down. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. And really looking in the mirror and thinking, you know, maybe I'm wrong that sugary beverages aren't the only way to go. Maybe I'm right. But if I am wrong, what is the worst that can happen? And I almost need that as a, a, a little, I was going to say bumper sticker, but a, a laptop sticker to just constantly remind myself when it comes to overcoming obstacles that you can think of a million reasons not to do something. And you talked a little bit about this in the book uh, as well when you were first starting out that you, with the shelf stability and just things going 
going okay. You know, you had a great small local business potentially on your hands, but that wasn't really uh, what we were trying to do. And then just as you, you grew, maybe it was getting kicked out of Starbucks, the bottler that then wanted, what was it? $250,000 upfront and your formula or just yeah. all kinds of crazy ra ransoms. What were some of the obstacles that you that you really overcountered, and what kept you persevering to keep going through the hiccups? And just for the listeners who haven't read the book yet, I believe that when this was happening, you were about to give birth. You were doing sales calls on the morning of the day you had a C-section <laughs> scheduled. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I I woke up and I knew I was pregnant. Thank goodness. I had I had written the business plan and. Uh, and decided I was going to go launch this company and then shared this with my husband that I had this big idea. He says I just sort of dropped this bomb on him saying not only was I launching a company, <laughs> but I was also having our fourth child. And uh, he said, so when is this baby due? And I said, like six months from now. So I have to hurry up and figure out how to get this product produced because I wanted to get it on the shelf. And I had no idea what I didn't know, frankly. And so like every product launch that I've ever heard about, we were delayed. We were supposed to actually get our product two weeks before my son, Justin, was coming. And that's when uh, we ended up receiving the product the day before I was going in for a planned C-section. And so I had to be at the hospital at 2 p.m. on May 27th. And my husband and I woke up and he said, what do you want to do this morning on May 27th? And do you want to go on a walk? Do you want to go get brunch? And I said, gosh, I'd really love to see if we can get the product on the shelf at Whole Foods because I have this pallet of water of product in, in my garage. And I lived in San Francisco at the time. We just had like a two-car garage and um, I was going to be coming home from the hospital with a young baby and where was I going to park the car? Did I have to park it on the street? I was like thinking very logically, but I was, you know, really trying to figure out exactly. I wanted that pallet of water out of my garage. I didn't, that's as far as I was getting. And so I'm sure you can relate to this where you're, yep. you know, trying to live and you're trying to like do this business thing. And so he said, okay, fine, I'll, I'll go with you and to Whole Foods and, he wasn't involved in the company really yet. I mean, he had gone with me on uh, some production trips um, to try and figure this stuff out, but he hadn't actually been into Whole Foods to sort of go through like the selling process. He didn't know who I had been talking to there. And so we walk in, he's kind enough to be carrying the cases in. He carries 10 cases in and we get in there and he said, where's the guy? And I walk up to this guy who's merchandising, stocking the shelves. And I talked to him a couple of times over the course of six months. And he turned around and he said, wow, you're really pregnant. I hadn't been in there in a couple of months. And so that was like, the, he was shocked. I mean, he was like, whoa, you know, you got all this product and are you the same person? You're just giant. And he didn't say that, but he said, wow, you're really pregnant. And I said, yeah. And he said, like, are you going to deliver right now? And I said, gosh, I hope not. I'm, I'm supposed to be at the hospital at 2 p.m. So I'm having a planned C-section. And he said, what do you mean like a planned C-section? And I said, oh, you mean what's the difference between a planned C-section and emergency C-section? I've had both of those. And so I can share that with you if you like. And he said, sure. And of course, my husband's horrified. He's like backing up into the fruit and vegetable section and going, I cannot believe she's actually having this conversation. 
And so he uh, goes and takes a tour of the store while I'm explaining to this nice gentleman what a planned C-section is versus a emergency C-section. And then 15 minutes later, I said, okay, well, there you go. And he said, thank you so much like for taking the time to educate me on this because I've always sort of wondered how people knew they were having a C-section on certain dates. And I just never kind of looked it up or no one had ever explained it to me. And uh, I said, yeah, well, there you go. So can you actually get my product on the shelf at or in the cold case at, Whole, at, at <laughs> your beautiful supermarket? And he said, I will try, but there's no guarantee. And obviously, I was a little disappointed in this because I really thought I had, you know, I had the sale at this point and, and he wasn't doing what I wanted him to do. But my husband at this point pulled me and said, just leave the product. Let's go. Like, this is a crazy conversation and a crazy day already. And so we left and I wasn't sure whether or not he was going to actually put it on the shelf or not. And then uh, had my son, Justin, successfully. And then the next day, I'm in the hospital and the phone rings. By the way, no one ever calls when you have your fourth child, like none of your friends or family. <laughs> they just that's, got, how, that's how you find out who your real friends are. Yeah, no, no one calls. But I was so excited, you know, when the one phone call came, like the phone's ringing. I'm like, oh my God, who, who is it? Who's that one real friend? And it was the guy from Whole Foods. And my husband picks up the phone and says, hello. And he said, hey, you know, I talked to you yesterday. The 10 cases are gone. And he's got it on speakerphone. And so I'm like, wait, who took the cases? I still didn't believe that they had been sold. I mean, uh, my goal was to actually get it on the shelf at Whole Foods, but I hadn't quite thought through gosh, like what if they sell out while I'm in the hospital delivering my fourth child? I never got that far, right? Nobody ever plans for the great case scenario. It's always, well, we don't want to do buybacks. Yeah, I I won't help you unload the trucks. Yeah, I mean, this guy was like, I mean, people always say like, did he have the authority to actually buy your product? I'm like, Whole Foods used to have this program. I don't know if they still, I've heard sort of mixed information on this, but they used to have this program where they would have a certain percentage of their inventory reserved for local brands. And so we were, you know, I guess in his mind that he had the ability to do a little bit, but I didn't even know there was like a national buying office in Austin. I was clueless. I was a tech executive. I had no experience in this industry at all, but I was super excited when he told me that we had sold these 10 cases, but he also said, is there anyone that can kind of, do you guys have distributors or anyone who can deliver this product? We're in the hospital. Like, <laughs> I mean, there was, and he said, look, I've given you guys some space, but I'm going to get in trouble or you're going to lose the space. I don't know if I can get it back for you. And so we actually checked out of the hospital. We figured, oh, okay, we were going to stay another day and a half and like being at the Ritz Carlton, right? At this point, because I've got three kids to go home to and bringing home a fourth kid. And I thought, I'll take my time. But then when I heard the news that I, my other baby really needed attention, I, I, we went home and that's when my husband said, let me just go take some more cases to him. And he did that and he came back and said, uh, by the way, I stopped and got a business card at FedEx Kinko's. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, everybody was like asking me, do you got a business card? He's an intellectual property lawyer from Silicon Valley. He said, I never really had a business card. And so he's getting asked for it. And and so he said, I hope you don't mind. And I s- said, what does the business card say? And he said, 
I said, I'm chief operating officer of Hint. <laughs> and because I operate, I bring the cases to you. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. Like it was a joke. I mean, it was just, he thought it was hysterical that he was, you know, the, now the chief, he's still the chief operating officer 15 years later. And I mean, he's very similar story. I mean, from what I was talking about before, he thought he enjoyed being an attorney, but there were aspects of it where he just felt like he could do it in his sleep. He was a very good Silicon Valley intellectual property attorney, and but he felt like he w wasn't really learning. And so when he saw what I was doing, I mean, as he says, it was like crazy town. He was, you know, couldn't believe some of the stuff that goes on in this industry. And yep. I mean, you have so many stories. He just couldn't believe it. And he was, it was just like the Wild West was right in front of us. And we just laughed together through it. But I think more than anything, he felt like he was learning all of a sudden. And I mean, there were lots of not only companies, but cast of characters that he just had never <laughs> really encountered. And it's just like, this is amazing. And there's actually people that have, you know, plants that are setting up arrangements where they're co-packing products and you know we ask them all these questions and they they say can't be done and we keep saying why which was very common in the tech industry to ask people why mm -hmm. you know why's are welcome from anywhere in the beverage industry it was like just because and we would just laugh every time people asked said to us just because or no we'd say oh well we're, we're not from this industry why is that and, you know, and sometimes people would be like, you're annoying. I'm not going to sit here and spend the time explaining this to you. But most of the time, they admitted that they didn't know. And because we didn't actually have industry experience, that's another sort of lesson learned. I felt like I really kind of was able to maybe be more inquisitive, right? Because people said, okay, well, she's, you know, whatever inquisitive, dumbass, whatever. Can I say that? Dumb, you know, along the way. Conveniently ignorant, we'll call it. Right. But I truly was curious. But if I would have had 20 years of experience in, in the beverage industry, I don't think people would have believed me that I was asking. You would have been following a standard operating procedure. And totally. Harry, who runs the capping machine, wouldn't be annoyed you're cutting into his smoke break for asking him, why do the caps have to be so tight? Totally. And this is what it may sound crazy to people, but this is what I just loved. I was so happy, like just sitting there, finding this stuff out and seeing this whole new world that I didn't, frankly, didn't know existed. So it was uh, a lot of fun. I could hijack the, uh, the podcast telling so many similar stories of that and just things that you don't even think of. Go for it. Like, um, so when we switched, uh, manufacturers, we were filming some content and stuff, but we couldn't film inside, uh, the dryer because it was all IP, mm -hmm. which is very interesting to think of. And you touched on this in the book of how the formula process is just totally, that's a hundred percent proprietary. And all I could think of was just the serendipity of having a husband who does IP law to have that wherewithal to not give that away because someone like me would just give that away if someone didn't tell me because I was just, I would just be too trusting mm -hmm. and just being smart with that background. But what you were going into really uh, hits on the next thing that I wanted to ask because you've always been so far ahead of the curve, even with the book promo. So if you go to drinkhint.com slash rolled up, 
I know how to do this with a Shopify URL, but nobody ever seems to do it. And of course, you're you're just executing that flawlessly. When we were talking about help desks, uh, ADA compliance was a big thing. And just you were the first person to ask us about that. So how do you continuously stay ahead of the curve without being too early, but also just really being that trailblazer? Gosh, so, it's so interesting. I don't think I, I mean, I think that the thing my sort of standard operating uh, way is always to kind of find out if there's a way to do things. And I always happen to sort of stump people along the way. Like I remember when I was launching a book, I would say to people, okay, this is my first book. How do I launch it? What are the podcasts that I need to be on? What, you know, how does this all work? And a couple of people would give me opinions, but then they would also say, but you know what, you're launching during the pandemic. And so I don't know if this is even relevant. And, and so as soon as they would almost sort of discount what they had just told me, then, yeah. then all of a sudden I was like, oh yeah, that's true. And so then I just started just doing and just every day, just again, my curiosity would kick into gear and I would say, what if I try it this way and this way? And, and so I just kept trying lots of different things. And, and I think that that was really was the most important thing that helped me to kind of, you know, I mean, it's no different for launching a company versus the book. I mean, and I still say this about both of those things. I really have no idea what I'm doing. I mean, I just keep going. And some of these things work, some of them don't work. But I think that that's the most important thing to do is just kind of have this mindset. But in terms of, I mean, you touch on a really good point that I often say, talk to entrepreneurs about, which is, if you're launching a product and a company, right, you're called an entrepreneur, but the, the entrepreneurs that really are are kind of i don't know i think the most memorable maybe that's not a really a fair statement but the ones that kind of you know hit it out of the ballpark and are sort of doing something really different are kind of in addition to launching a company which is a big call it a you know mountain climb these people are <laughs> it's not insignificant it's not insignificant but then you add on the people that are launching a new category like what we did and that's everest right that that is like airbnb that is mm -hmm. people who are facebook what whatever who are launching these big ideas and the problem with launching a category is that you're typically ahead of the customer and probably ahead of the technology um, in our case, we were ahead of the buyers, so we would go above and beyond Whole Foods. Like once we actually tried to figure out how to scale, we had to, we wanted to get into like Safeway and we'd go and say, hey, we've got an unsweetened flavored water. And they were like, okay, well, we have a planogram and there's water and there's enhanced water, which all have sweeteners in it. And we don't have <laughs> yeah, a category. There are no uh, vitamins in the aptly named water that we we won't name, but can reference. Yeah. And I said, no, 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 we're, we're different. And I'm really excited that we're different and I'm proud that we're different, but I can't get my product in there because they don't have something called unsweetened flavored water. And so, I mean, they, a, a couple of buyers even said, why don't you guys just add like some sweeteners and, and then I'll be allowed to do this. And I thought <laughs> that's the whole point. 
we're not doing that. And so again, I mean, these stories, you cannot make some of these stories up. It was so crazy. So being ahead of the curve and, you know, launching these new categories, it sounds great. They're really hard. And also, I've always believed that the people who are ahead of the curve, we always kind of hear that like, oh, they're ahead of the curve. But then the problem with that is that if they execute wrong, I don't believe you can go in and buy the consumer and get the consumer to react to hopping on your bandwagon, right? They have to discover your product. They have to be ready for it and mm -hmm. engage in it. And sometimes things happen like Zoom, for example. Zoom was a company. It was like happening. All of a sudden the pandemic hits, boom, right? Like they didn't predict that that would happen, but it sped up their business and others that are out there as well. DoorDash, all like that. I mean, you look at companies that really something happens to them along the way, or the consumer eventually catches up naturally to where they were at, or they run out of money, mm -hmm. right? And that is another huge lesson that I talked to too, that I was smart enough to know early on that we got our product on the shelf and I had a few consumers, but I didn't have a lot of consumers. I mean, I had, you know, a few thousand consumers in the first year, but it wasn't Coca-Cola by any stretch, but I still had very loyal consumers. Now my trick was rather than I didn't have enough money to go and just advertise anyway, but a lot of people say, why didn't you raise money earlier? We had self-funded the company, but I didn't want to raise money because I knew that I had to raise a lot of money to even like make a splash out there. But in addition, I felt like the consumer wasn't really ready just because I was going to go buy a bunch of billboards and talk about unsweetened flavored water. I didn't think that that was going to get the consumer to jump on my bandwagon. They had to taste it. They had to try it in places that they loved, right? That they felt like it was their community. And so that's another big lesson, I think, in the book too. And you can really... You don't have to be a beverage or food entrepreneur to understand that. You have to, you know, just be sort of thinking about different categories. And it's true. It's, um, you know, the companies that have really not done it right and maybe were ahead of the curve were the ones that tried to shove it down the consumer's throat or they, you know, spent money in the wrong way. And I think that that's a really important lesson. Something that's always inspired me that you've done, whether it's frontline workers or donating, I can't remember the, the amount that it was, but I think it was a quarter of a million dollars, probably more to breast cancer. And you touched on this a little bit when you were starting out saying how you wanted a product that could truly change the world. What would you say to any entrepreneurs or even students who are just starting out and just feel that maybe... Maybe their their difference that they're making isn't big enough because they they're just starting out on the side and they just don't feel big enough to to call themselves an entrepreneur. First of all, I think as you and I have talked about a bit in this podcast, I mean entrepreneurship is a lot of hard work. And I always, you know, share with people that it doesn't mean that it isn't doable, but I also don't think there's anything wrong 
with working for an entrepreneur, right? So somebody like you, for example, and really learning the ins and outs of being an entrepreneur, because you may find that you don't like the chaos, or maybe there's a certain stage of startups that you like better, right? There's some mm-hmm. people that really love the early, early. There's other people that like the later stage startups and where it's a little more organized and maybe you have an assistant to sort of help out or you have drivers that can help you get your product into stores or whatever it is. I think that, you know, trying to really figure out what you ultimately want to do is, um, it's trial and error. And I think that the people that really understand being an entrepreneur are ones that know that even if they're not doing it right this time, I know entrepreneurs that have started something on their own and then they decide I wouldn't mind supporting an entrepreneur. I have somebody who runs uh, my sales team who actually founded a drink company that was actually fairly successful. And he went a different route and got a, uh, got a relationship with Monster and worked inside of Monster for a few years and then said, I don't really have an idea to go and start a company right now, but I've really admired what you guys have done. And he was actually a a head of brand and marketing. And he said, what I really want to do is spend some time on the sales side because I want to learn. This goes back to this whole curiosity of, of like learning how things are done without like a big monster or coke network and i mean he's amazing and because he understands the challenges that founders have and the doubts and and all these things and having somebody like that on our team too i always talk about him as you know if i'm having a bad day like calling him up and saying okay get this right like i don't even have to play catch up to you know talk to him about it because he understands it you're saying come get on the roller coaster with me i need a buddy Yeah, but also he doesn't, he's like, look, I spent years trying to figure out payroll and everything else that you got to do in the company. And I'm like, that's your job now. And, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, thanks, you know. But again, I think that it's a trial and error and gone are the days where this is probably going to be your last gig too. Like you just go, if you have that mindset, people used to always say when I, was launching Hint, they're like, how did you, and they still ask me this, but how did you have the courage to leave tech and go into beverage? And I remember one day, like thinking about this and answering it and thinking, if I really believed that I did a killer job, which I do in tech, then why do I think that I can't go back to it? I mean, I can still, I believe 15 years later, if I wanted to go back into tech, I could. Oh, absolutely. Right? But people think that just because you leave one industry, instead, I've just expanded my knowledge base on how things work, right? And I think it's just, uh, I think it just makes you more interesting. It makes you more well-rounded and just by going and, and, and also happier because you're doing things that maybe you love, maybe you don't like, right? And I think that that just makes you have a deeper connection with yourself and what you like to get up and do every single day. Absolutely. And it's, I think that reminder that you can go back is so important to anyone thinking of, well, should I take that leap? What's the worst thing that can happen? And especially now when everything's changing so fast, why not take that break and go try to start something new? Or maybe go move, right? Like I've had people say, should I move? Should I go? And I'm like, you can always come back. I mean, that's the thing that's so crazy. 
It's like, it's really not, as my dad used to say, like, what's the risk? I don't know. Maybe you sell your great house or, you know, you give up an apartment or, you know, you have to go buy a car in your new place. I don't know. But I always say to people, just go try it. Like, who cares? The cost of mistakes. Totally. It's like no big deal. One last question, uh, and it's in the book. So I, I hope you'll you'll tell us and not uh, not not drive everyone to uh, to go buy the book. But it is worth it for this story alone. Was when you were on, uh, you did the TV special of how, was it how I built this or um, something? It was a business TV show about how you built Hint, and you were at the pool, and someone came up to you and said, "Oh, I love Hint. I just sh- saw the show with the CEO," and you said it yourself. You don't look like most CEOs. Um, you have bright red hair. And they were telling you about you and just gushing over you. And I just, I love that story. And do you think you could tell the the listeners that uh, story and selfishly so I can hear it one more time? Oh, that is so funny. So how I made it was that it used to be Tyler Matheson, but uh, we were one of the top shows that he had. And we got a call from the producer one day who said, hey, can we follow you guys around? This is really early. And and hint and we had actually rented a house in Connecticut for the summer on the water and you know he drove up from New York and it was a lot of fun and finally we were told it's probably going to be like a 10 minute segment well it turned into like a half an hour program in a few different points because people just really related to it and the ratings were really high and and so we were pretty psyched i mean 6 months of running on air and and then Finally, we we actually took our kids down on spring break to Georgia, to St. Simon's Island, and we're staying at a resort um, and hanging out by the pool. I was talking to my daughter, and this woman walked up and said, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt you, but uh, I saw you're drinking this product here, Hint, and I saw this lady on television, and she was drinking um, that product and sort of telling her story of how she built it. And I was just curious, uh, where did you get the product? I said, oh, just down the street at Harris Teeters. And my uh, daughter jumped in the pool and and the woman said, yeah, you know, this woman, she had no idea who I was, obviously. And uh, I was I was sort of like undercover boss, I guess, but not her boss. But, <laughs> but you weren't undercover at all. You, were, you were wearing the all, uniform of a police officer. I know, but I was like, exactly. I was like in my swimsuit and hair up in a ponytail. And, and she went on to tell me the story and how you know, I gave up Diet Coke. And I mean, I, I said, Oh, tell me more. And, you know, just went along. And then my daughter hopped out of the pool and said, Did you tell her yet to me? And the one the woman kind of looked at me. And I said, Oh, oh, I, I work for this company. And she said, You're kidding. What's that woman like? And I, I started laughing. And I, you know, went on. And uh, I said, She's pretty cool. I mean, she's, she's all right. So <laughs> and, and she anyway, so it was a funny story. But what I realized, though, from that story in particular, I mean, this was probably 12, 13 years ago, people were not telling stories. I mean, I remember going into a VC and trying to raise money. And he said to me, uh, the VC said to me, I know what your backstory is, but just don't tell that story to people because it'll make you look really small. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I I had never raised money before, so I had no idea. But I mean, it always kind of haunted me a little bit because I thought, should I tell the story of why I started the company? Shouldn't I tell the story? And now 
when I'm out doing public speaking in large corporations, I mean, this question I get asked all the time by marketing individuals and C-suite individuals inside of large companies, how, how do we find our brand story? How do we? And, you know, it's ironic, right? Because here I was told, you don't want to look small. You'll look small by telling your story. And I always kind of disagreed with it. I was like, uh, you know, I don't even know how else to get my story out there. But clearly this woman who had heard my story on a news segment had uh, picked up on it too and found some sort of relationship. That's the other thing that I think is really interesting in storytelling, particularly around brands. And I've even had people read the book and write to me or call our customer service line. It's that people pick it up, but then they, they infuse your story into their life, right? So somehow maybe people think that because they were drinking Diet Pepsi instead of Diet Coke, that that's what I was drinking. Right? They, I mean, constantly this happens. And, and I think it's fascinating how, you know, people pick up on the gist of the story, but it, they twist it a little bit to sort of reflect their own life that they're living. You can see why this is our longest episode of the season and why I chose to launch the new year with this episode. If we can get through 2020, I think we can get through just about anything. So what are you going to start this year? Are you going to start your own company or working with a startup or small business? Maybe volunteering with a cause that means something to you. Regardless of what you're thinking of doing, just start. There's no challenge that you can't overcome. And even if you can't, the worst case really isn't that bad. Just jump in. Because the lessons that you'll learn by jumping into the deep end, you can't learn them in the shallow end and you'll be able to take them with you wherever you go. If you want to follow Kara and hear what she's up to, you can listen to her podcast and find her on your favorite social network. Just search for Kara Golden and she'll be there. If you want to read the book, head over to drinkhint.com slash rolled up, grab a copy and you can support Kara and her company directly. Or of course, you can get it at your favorite retailer as well. And if you're like me and prefer audiobooks, it's available and Kara reads it herself. Next week's guest helped me launch my first e-commerce business. And now he's helping me launch the podcast by coming on the first season. Eric Bandholtz is the co-founder and CEO of Beard Brand. You've probably seen him on Shark Tank, read a case study he's done, and maybe even seen him in a commercial or two. Until then, it's quitting time.